And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, everybody, it is time for us to get back to normal-ish. Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. Let me get all our cameras back where they're supposed to be. How is everybody doing? Survived the 4th of July weekend. Those of you in the United States got all your fingers and toes. That's good. Couple of quick things. We've got live chat open. Comments are open. If you want to send us a, a, an email, live from the bunker at sci fi If you are listening to us in podcast form, we're available on a number of player platforms. And uh, you can find us just search sci-fi for me and you will find us in your platform player of choice we've got people listening from let me look at the monitor here russia france spain i'm still getting used to my mouse here spain france united kingdom ireland brazil hello those of you who are listening in brazil russia united states uh, that's what I'm seeing right now. We've had listeners in Australia and Japan, Malaysia. Happy to have all of you with us uh, today. And I want to start just a real quick, uh, if I could, real quick observation. Um, just because this caught me by surprise a little bit, although it might not uh, have, uh, should have. It might, it, it shouldn't be a surprise, really. Uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, who is a writer and artist in, uh, in, in, in the comics industry, posts this over on his Instagram account. Uh, it is a graphic, for those of you who are listening to this and not watching, it is a graphic that says, Stand up for science and resist ignorance. Embrace science. Earth is not flat. Vaccines work. Climate change is real. We've been to the moon. Science is like magic, but real. I, I observe this only because Palmiati is in comic books, and this is indicative of a lot of the attitude that we've been seeing in the comics industry. But something that I noticed, this fist that holds this, I guess that's a microscope, in the middle of the graphic there's a fist raised up vertically holding a microscope, and I thought that looks awfully familiar. And it kind of does. It looks a lot like some other fists that have been raised over the years. Just say it. Another quiet observation from Mr. Boss. All right, so let's get into today's topic. Yesterday we got the news that director Richard Donner had passed away, age 91. <sighs> A very long and productive life. Uh, he was actually in the midst of uh, getting ready to direct Lethal Weapon 5. Uh, as far back as uh, uh, December of 2020, he was still planning to do that. Uh, 
So I don't know what's going to happen with that. But uh, the news came yesterday via different uh, trades. Richard Donner uh, passing away and, of course, listing out all of his uh, accomplishments. Very prolific director, both in film and TV. And I had forgotten that he had directed episodes of Danger Island, which was part of the, the Banana Splits Hour. Those of you who are of an age, you're going to remember that. But he also directed episodes of Gilligan's Island. Very prolific in television when he started out. Actually started as an actor. And then he got told, you should be a director. Because you give direction better than you take direction. And so he, he started directing. He's directed episodes of, of um, The Wild Wild West. Sunset, uh, Sunset Strip, uh, uh, Route 66, The Rifleman, The Man from Uncle, Gilligan's Island. I remember catching a, catching an episode of Gilligan's Island here, oh many 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 moons ago. And uh, it was a it was a Donner directed episode of that. I hey I know that name. Of course I know him from Superman, 1978, starring Christopher Reeve. Superman the movie is what it was called officially back then. And the impact that movie had. Now, we, we frequently, in, in, in these programs that we do, we frequently talk about being of an age. And it is very much a thing because growing up in the 80s and 90s, I would say that was probably the most influential and most impactful that Hollywood has been on the pop culture. And one of the reasons I say this is because we keep going back to that. We keep dipping into that well with remakes and reboots and restarts and requels and whatnot. But there's something about that time period that is such a a cultural touchstone for a lot of us, especially those of us who grew up in that time. You look at Wonder Woman 1984, and it kind of captures what it was like in 1984, but not really. The, The television shows of the time, the movies of the time... Uh, had a very distinct aesthetic, a, a, a distinct tone. You can you can very fairly easily tell when you're watching a movie that was made in the '80s. And Richard Donner was very prolific as a director. Uh, he got his start on a couple of smaller pictures, and then in 1976 he directed *The Omen*, which was the first of a trilogy. Uh, that had to do with the Antichrist coming back, uh, and I believe they pro- he produced the Omen three, and the Omen led to Superman. And I, I'm not sure that people realize how much of an impact Superman had on. Everything We talk about Star Wars a lot. We talk about Star Wars in 1977 just completely changing Hollywood. And it did, 
mainly on the merchandising and special effects side. But Superman gave us a superhero movie, a comic book movie, that proved you could tell that kind of story without having to plant your tongue firmly in cheek. It wasn't, it wasn't cute. It wasn't a parody. It wasn't Batman 1966. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't winking at the audience. It took the material seriously. It, it, it respected the source material. And that was something that Richard Donner was very, very adamant about. When he got that first script from the Salkins, it's 500 pages and it's a mess. And he says, you can't do this. You can't do this to the character. And basically demanded and insisted on a page one rewrite. And we all, we all know the, the, the amount of strife between Donner and the Salkins. But he's right. You have to respect the source material. I think it's one of the reasons why you see all of this stuff that's going on now, with the, especially with the DC movies, but also Marvel, when fans are critical of film or TV that doesn't respect the source material, there's a reason why the source material is such a success, why it's endured for so long, and you don't mess with that. And Donner understood this, and when he's making Superman, it, it, the the word we've talked about it some and and Robert Meyer Burnett talks about this a lot the word veris, verisimilitude meaning similarity to the truth it basically is this this idea of being close to truth, depicting realism in art, having an appearance of truth, being believable, being probable. And this idea, they even had it in the, in the production offices, very, 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 very similar, very limit. Oh, come on. You've got to be kidding me. Verisimilitude. I have to be looking at it to actually say it. Verisimilitude. This idea that Superman, the whole concept, I mean, the first, the first poster, you'll believe a man can fly. That was the whole core of the thing. And, and I read a, a, a passage, an interview, where Donner was talking about bringing on Tom Mankiewicz to, to rewrite the script. And he said, there's two things. There's two things that got to happen in this story. It's a romance and you have to believe the guy fly, that, that a man can fly. Those are the two core elements. And it, it shows that Donner understood that what makes Superman work is not the superheroics. It's not the, the you know, lifting the cars and beating the bad guys and bullets bouncing off. It's the heart of the character. It's the nature of the character that he and Lois Lane have this relationship that defines everything else. And it's gratifying, really, for me personally to see that reflected in the CW's Superman and Lois. You get the relationship with Superman and Lois Lane right, everything else falls into place. 
And special effects can only take you so far. If you don't have that core understanding of who these characters are, then you don't have a credible story. And the special effects work for the flying unit and all of the, all of the blue screen work and all of that stuff that, that, that made us believe. That was a game changer in Hollywood too. That was a, that was a big step forward in special effects. Uh, especially with front and rear projection screens. Because those systems, timeless, I mean, they've been used forever, but they hadn't been used quite the same way. And it made a difference. It made a huge impact. And, and you know, Chris Reeves' performance, being what it was, it's still considered by some to be the definitive Superman performance superman presentation there's a lot of people who still compare every other superman that's come since with christopher reeve for good reason but it wasn't just superman richard donner also directed the goonies and i don't know mrs boss is very much a fan of the Goonies. And he says, of course, you know, all of the kids, taken one at a time, they're fine. They're charming. They're fun to be with. And in in a group, it's a little overwhelming. But he had a ball when he was directing that film. And he talks about when, uh, when the ship, when they had the first, when the kids drop into the, the cave and they, and they find the ship for the first time. He says he didn't let the kids see it at all during construction. And when they're in there on set, he's got their backs to the ship. He didn't let them see it until they were shooting. And their reactions in the film when they first see the ship, those are the actual legitimate first-time reactions from those kids seeing that ship. Hello, Doris. Welcome. It's good to see you in the chat. Let me grab my coffee. Richard Donner was a big believer in making things believable. You look at his... He has several episodes of The Twilight Zone, but the most memorable, of course, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet with William Shatner. This is the one with the gremlin on the plane, the monster on the wing. And that could very easily have fallen into camp if it had been handled badly. Donner knew his stuff. And just like Mel Gibson was saying when they were talking to him about it, you know, Donner, Donner lived and breathed this. He had perfected his craft, and he was considered a very dependable director who delivered the goods, especially in the 80s. You know, Lethal Weapon, The Goonies, um... What else did he do there? I mean, he's you know, his 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 resume, his list of credits is amazing. Uh, Scrooged, Lady Hawk, a criminally underrated movie, if ever there was one. A movie that never would be made now. The Toy, with Jackie Gleason and. 
Richard Pryor. Episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Maverick. Timeline. Now see, Timeline is one of those that I think I, I think I saw it, but I don't remember seeing it. Maybe I saw pieces of it. I think I caught pieces of it. That's one that I want to go back and look at it again. It's based on a book by Michael Crichton. And it's a time travel movie. But here's here's an interesting thing I ran across in my in my research. Uh, now, Richard Donner had directed episodes of The Wild Wild West, the original TV series. And he was in talks to direct the movie version. And the plan was Shane Black writes the script. He wrote Lethal Weapon. And this would be a vehicle for Mel Gibson. And I think we got shortchanged. Because The Wild Wild West, directed by Richard Donner, starring Mel Gibson as Jim West, would have been... Much more interesting, I think, than what we got with The Wild Wild West starring Will Smith as Jim West. Uh, I don't think we would have gotten Big Mechanical Spider. I know Joe Silver was, was big on The Mechanical Spider. It was supposed to show up in his version of a Superman story, and it ended up over there in The Wild Wild West. Dumb idea. And I think Donner would have pushed back on that because Richard Donner knew what it took to make a good story. Verisimilitude. It has to be believable. And that deal, for whatever reason, fell through and and Donner and Gibson ended up going over and making Maverick, which was based on the TV show. They gave us the X-Men movies. Richard Donner was executive producer. His wife was a producer on those films, on those original Brian Singer movies. And, funnily enough, it's not just it's not just Donner's career, but also we have spinning out of that Kevin Feige, who worked on those X-Men films. And Jeff Johns, who ended up writing a number of groundbreaking and high-impact, very popular DC Comics stories, created the Stargirl series, which now we've got on CW, based on his, his work. Uh, the revival, the rebirth of Green Lantern, the whole color spectrum that we now have with the Lantern Corps, all, all of the different things that Jeff Johns has brought to... DC Comics bringing back Barry Allen, bringing back Hal Jordan, bringing back the DC Universe after New 52. And yeah, he's not a perfect writer, but he learned from Donner. Verisimilitude. And Kevin Feige. Look at where he's at now. What kind of career would Kevin Feige have without Richard Donner? What kind of Marvel movie universe would we have without Richard Donner? The Goonies has been one of those that has stuck 
the test of time, has withstood, has sat there and said, yes, we're going to make this movie and it's going to stay with us forever. Goonies never say die, right? Lauren Schuler Donner. Now, we have not had any indication on the cause of death. Uh, of course, she's you know she's feeling the loss more than anybody else, and our sympathies, of course, and condolences go to her and the family. Um, understandably emotional. She's she's telling uh, Deadline, quote, "He was a great man. I was very very lucky woman, but he was very sick, so it was time for him to go." That's the only thing that we've got of of any indication of of anything. So maybe. Maybe cancer? I don't know. I hate. I, I, I hesitate to speculate. I don't want to put any kind of thing out there, you know, break, break Twitter again like we have. Uh, but he was a remarkable director. Spielberg says that he was the greatest Goonie of them all. Jeff Cohen, who played Chunk in The Goonies... Says that uh, says that that Donner was extremely generous as a director. Uh, he says Dick Donner was and is my favorite person in the world. He is the best person I've ever known. He is remarkably talented, remarkably kind, remarkably loving, and as an artist, Dick Donner is one of the greatest film directors of all time. Uh, he says Dick Donner directed the greatest superhero film of all time with Superman. That is the film that cracks the genre. You don't have Tim Burton's Batman. If you don't have Superman, you don't have the Marvel movies without Superman. Dick Donner also directed one of the greatest kids movies of all time with the Goonies. Additionally, Dick directed one of the greatest horror movies of all time with the Omen. And Dick directed one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time with Scrooged. Dick directed some of the greatest action movies of all time with the Lethal Weapon series. What director can make stellar films in all those categories? Uh, now, he says, I'm an entertainment attorney, and I have a firm out here in Los Angeles. None of that would have happened for me without Dick Donner helping me when there was nothing I could do for him. To me, that's a unique thing in our business. Dick Donner and Lauren Schuler Donner, because they were kind, paid for my college when I went to Berkeley. His acting career had started to, to decline, and he was, you know, he was looking to do something else. And it's interesting that Donner, you know, wasn't expecting to get anything out of it, just out of the kindness of his heart, just said, okay, here, we're going to help you. And that kind of generosity, especially in this day and age, you don't hear about that a lot. Now, it might happen more often than we know of in Hollywood, but Hollywood is a cutthroat society. It's a closed-off society. They're very insular. They, they, they look after their own, but they look after themselves first. Steven Spielberg calls him the greatest Goonie of all. He says, Dick had such a powerful command of his movies and was so gifted across so many genres 
Being in his circle was akin to hanging out with your favorite coach, smartest professor, fiercest motivator, most endearing friend, staunchest ally, and of course the greatest goonie of all. He was all kid, all heart, all the time. I can't believe he's gone, but his husky, hearty laugh will stay with me always. Mel Gibson says he was magnanimous of heart and soul, which he liberally gave to all who knew him. I will sorely miss him with all his mischievous wit and wisdom. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, Donner directed him in Assassins. Says, I enjoyed working with Dick Donner on Assassins. He was a man's man, extremely talented, great sense of humor. His big laughter was like rolling thunder. I don't know that you're going to get anyone nowadays who has that kind of impact. I mean, there are directors out there that are the big directors, the well-known directors, but are they going to have the kind of impact that Richard Donner had? You look at his, at his body of work, both on television and film, And nowadays, especially nowadays, when a lot of the hiring practices depend on what you look like, who you sleep with, what your plumbing is, and not what your talent is, I don't know that we're going to get another Richard Donner. At the very least, out of the Hollywood system. Now, we may get somebody like that out of the indie scene. And we talked about that last week, about how Hollywood keeps dipping into the same well and going back for remake and remake and remake. And I don't think you're going to get the next George Lucas, Spiel, uh, Steven Spielberg, Catherine Bigelow, Patty Jenkins, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola. You're not going to get that out of the Hollywood system. You're not going to get another Richard Donner out of the Hollywood system. It's going to come from Indies. Very much like... Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola and Scorsese and De Palma, all of those guys, Roger Corman, James Cameron, all of them came out of the indie scene at the time. We're not going to get another Richard Donner, at least not for another generation, maybe. Now, Ilya Salkind issued a statement to Deadline. And I find this interesting. Uh, quote, Richard Donner was an extraordinary director and person. Perfect for Superman the movie. Alexander Salkind and I saw The Omen, and we decided to hire him for Superman the movie. It turned out to be a fantastic choice, and the film is now in the Library of Congress. He told everybody involved in the film to apply verisimilitude. My father, Alexander Salkin, and I had a great collaboration with Dick. We were, and still are, fortunate, and so was Richard Donner as Superman the movie became a phenomenon, and that set the standard for all comic book superhero movies to follow. That's a very nice thing to say. And it completely ignores all of the problems that they had making Superman the movie. Remember, the Salkins fired Richard Donner before he could complete Superman 2. Because they were constantly, constantly at odds. The Salkins were always trying to 
control how much was spent. And to hear Donner tell it, they never told him what his budget was. And they were telling him, you can't do that, you can't do that, there's no budget for it. And they were constantly at odds with each other. The creative differences between Richard Donner and the Salkins are stuff of legend at this point. And for Ilya Salkin to come in and say this about Richard Donner, it's a very nice thing to say. I wonder how much of it is genuine sentiment. But that's just me. My opinion doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter. I'm just here. Richard Donner was also responsible for the Free Willy series of films. I mean, think about this. He goes from The Omen to Superman. He does Tales from the Crypt and Free Willy. I mean, the guy was all over the place in terms of genre. That, that shows how versatile he was. And I can just, I can, I can imagine in some alternate universe, Richard Donner directed both The Wild Wild West and Back to the Future. I mean, he, he was that kind, of, that kind of director. Those were the kind of movies that he could make. Um, and, and Lady Hawk especially, yes, uh, Doris, Lady Hawk was a, was a great one, and it's one that a lot of people don't, they're not as familiar with it as they should be, let's say that. If you have not seen Lady Hawk, you should see Lady Hawk. It's an excellent movie. Um, I think it's one of Matthew Broderick's first films. It's got uh, Rutger Hauer in it and Michelle Pfeiffer. It's an excellent film. And at its core is a romance, just like Superman. Superman the movie, I remember when we went to go see it. It was 1978. The movie was out. We went to the General Cinema at Irving Mall in Texas. And I remember it mainly because my mother went with us. One of those rare occasions. Star Wars and Superman, one of those rare occasions where my mother has gone to the movies with the family. We've all, we all went. My sister, my parents, and I. And every time I see this movie and we get past, you got Jeff East playing Clark Kent up until the point where we get to the Fortress of Solitude. And we have that montage of the training and the teaching and the flying through space and all of the stuff with Brando's Jor-El and the voiceover. And as we come back to the Fortress of Solitude, you've got Christopher Reeve standing there in the suit for the first time. And he comes out, and, it, and this is after thinking about this, this is probably one of the smartest moves that Donner made in that film because you have Chris Reeve, he takes off, he flies toward the camera, he banks into a turn and flies out of the frame. And it's so quick, you don't get a really good look at the suit. You don't get a good look at Superman yet. It's just this, and he's out, right? And then we're in Metropolis, and then we have Clark, 
and we have all of the stuff, you know, Clark meets Lois and the and the and the the busyness of the Daily Planet and meeting and Perry and Jimmy and da, 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 right? And we get that little tease in the alleyway. We don't get the suit. We don't see Superman. It's still just Clark until the helicopter rescue. And he comes across the street and he pulls open his shirt and there's the there's the shield. There's the S. Big as life, right into the camera. And you know what's going to happen next. And there's this emotional ride from the time he pulls open his shirt to when he spins out of that revolving door in full costume and takes off and, and grabs Lois. And suddenly he's there. Big as life. And you believe that he's flying. And it's such a moment. And especially for kids. That's Superman. I saw somebody posted on on social media. They sat and, and watched Superman with. Uh, with his daughter, I think she's like five or six as he's relating it. And when it's revealed that he's Superman, Clark Kent is Superman, she's like, that's the same guy? Because of Christopher Reeve's performance. He's playing two characters, essentially, in that movie. And, and I, I, have to, uh, I have to assume that that's collaborative between him and and Richard Donner. And Donner basically cast Chris Reeve on a on a wing and a prayer. Saw him on stage at Broadway after uh, after Reeve had auditioned. I was like, man, you got to bulk up because he was some skinny, you know, some skinny kid. He took a chance and he found the Superman. And Chris Reeve's performance has been the defining, uh, the defining standard for so many that every other Superman gets compared to him, animated or live action. And we have Richard Donner to thank for that. With the Lethal Weapon movies, he brought back the buddy cop scenario. I. I wonder what he could have done with Starsky and Hutch on the on the big screen. Certainly wouldn't have been what we got. But Lethal Weapon if you if you stop and think about it, Lethal Weapon is essentially Starsky and Hutch. Because Riggs is Starsky. A little reckless. A little silly, a little goofball. Murtaugh is Hutch. He's the straight arrow. He's the one, you know, this, you know, why are we driving around in a big cherry tomato type of, of cop, right? I don't have any time for your nonsense. Lethal Weapon is Starsky and Hutch for the 80s. And that's what Starsky and Hutch should have been. Of course, it would have been compared to Lethal Weapon at that time. But that's, 
that's how it was. That was the dynamic there. And of course, we've got four successful films out of that franchise. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, the episode of The Twilight Zone that everyone knows. The Gremlin on the Wing, the Monster on the Plane. Does William Shatner's character actually see it? Or is it a figment of his imagination? Donner's direction and Shatner's performance in that, in that episode have made it one of the most talked about, most memorable, most influential episodes of The Twilight Zone that ever has been part of that anthology, that series. So much so that they remade it as part of the movie because it's considered a classic it's one of the Twilight Zone episodes. And John Lithgow does a credible performance. But it doesn't match Shatner. Looking through some of the trivia on, uh, on Donner's IMDb page. He was originally set to direct The Lost Boys, ended up uh, uh, giving it to Joel Schumacher and executive produced. Was considered to direct Rambo. Was considered to direct Judge Dredd. Ridley Scott offered him a chance to direct Thelma and Louise. Uh, was considered to direct Problem Child, but uh, instead went and did Lethal Weapon 2. was interested in directing Dragonheart. How many of you remember that one? He did six months in pre-production before moving on to other, to other projects. Turned down Alien 3. <sighs> Missed opportunities. Now, some of these might have been okay that he didn't direct. He was considered for, for Batman. The 1989 Batman, the one that Tim Burton did. He was considered, Richard Donner was considered to direct it. And had in mind Mel Gibson for Bruce Wayne. Now, could you imagine Mel Gibson as Batman? Mrs. Boss laughs. Snorts. I mean, the Salkins wanted... Robert Redford or Paul Newman or Sylvester Stallone to play Superman. I guess that's not uh, very much different casting than Nicolas Cage. But, uh, yeah. I'm not sure I could take Mel Gibson as Batman. But Lethal Weapon put Mel Gibson on the map. It wasn't. It wasn't Mad Max. I mean, that wasn't a big. He he didn't blow up as an actor until Lethal Weapon. Uh, Richard Donner was actively pursued by Michael Crichton to direct Jurassic Park. Okay, that I think would have been an interesting mix. You know, there's so much history in his career 
he was going to direct the Flintstones. He was... Um, He says, Mel Gibson is God's gift to a director, but he tells the worst jokes in the world. Uh, about Christopher Reeve, he says, he's the real-life Superman. I know I'll see him walk again. He tells a story about getting getting together with Marlon Brando, and Brando talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. Now, Brando originally was saying, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll play Jor-El like a green suitcase. Maybe I'll play Jor-El like a bagel. And Donner's like, what? He had talked to Francis Coppola about it, and Coppola's like, just let him talk. He'll eventually talk himself out of whatever it is that he's got some idea on. And as Donner relates the meeting, they they went for hours talking about whatever whatever Brando was talking about, and he says, that's not what we're here to talk about. You're here to talk about this thing. What what? Tell me about the tell me about the movie. Tell me about this Jor-El. I think I'll play him as a bagel. And Donner's like, no. I, kids have known Jor-El since 1939, and they know he looks like Marlon Brando. And Brando says, I talk too much, don't I? And the deal was done, and Brando was Brando was in as Jor-El. And, now, he had been hired, and Gene Hagman had been hired, before Richard Donner had come on. Donner was not the original director for Superman. Originally... They had, uh, let me see if I can find it here. They had originally hired somebody else. And uh, they had a 500-page script that was completely unworkable. Uh, originally, they had, they were uh, supposed to go with Guy Hamilton. Now, you may know his name from Goldfinger. He was a James Bond movie director. Now, the Salkins had done The Three Musketeers. And they'd done this two-part movie thing back-to-back with Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers, very much like what ended up happening with Superman and Superman 2. And, you know, Donner was just off the uh, off the omen. And the deal with Guy Hamilton didn't uh didn't happen so they called they called Donner and that's how that happened they offered him a million dollars now if you look at the numbers for box office on superman uh in today's equivalent dollars superman the movie starring christopher reeve would have it made the equivalent of over a billion so you 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 figure for you know the exchange rate on 1978 dollars to 2021 dollars Superman the movie was a billion dollar movie Kevin Feige saying Richard Donner not only made me believe a man could fly he made me believe that comic characters could be brought to life on the big screen with heart humor, humanity, and verisimilitude. He said, above all, he taught me that it can and must be done with respect, caring, and kindness to everyone in front of and behind the camera. Dick and Lauren became mentors during my early career and key supporters throughout the birth of the MCU. 
I owe my career to the way they took the time to nurture and teach a kid from New Jersey who didn't know how to use a fax machine or make coffee very well. I always thought that Dick was immortal. I still do. My thoughts are with Lauren and the entire family. And that's that's one thing here, because Hollywood Reporter did an interview with Donner about how he got caught up in, in Superman. And uh, he says... <clears throat> um, he says when he first read the script that they had, that the Salkins had sent over, he says it was indulgent and heavy and had no point of view and treated the comic books with disrespect. It was disparaging. It was just gratuitous action. I'm reading this thing and Superman's looking for Lex Luthor in Metropolis and he's looking for every bald head in the city. And then he flies down and taps a guy on the shoulder and it's Telly Savalas who hands him a lollipop and says, who loves you, baby? Kojak. He says, I was brought up on Superman as a kid. There was a whole point in my life where I read Superman. So when I was finished with it, I was like, man, if they make this movie, they're destroying the legend of Superman. I wanted to do it just to defend him. You need to, you need to compare that to the people that are making the, the, the things what we love now. The DC movies, the Marvel movies, the Marvel TV shows, the Disney Plus stuff, the Star Wars, the Doctor Who's, the Star Trek. Any of those franchises that have stood the test of time for more than 10 years. I mean, all of these franchises are old enough to, old enough to drink and drive. There's a reason why Doctor Who has lasted as long as it has. Why Star Wars and why Star Trek and and all of these all of these shows have have endured. And when you look at how Donner approached the Superman movie, and you look at how somebody like oh Alex Kurtzman, for example, approaches Star Trek, and we're hearing stories now about how the cast and crew of Star Trek Discovery is being terrorized by the writer's room and the production offices, the, the head honchos. Could that be Kurtzman? Who knows? We don't know. But now, now the stories are starting to come out. Not only do we have people who don't understand the material... But it sounds like we have people who don't understand what it's like to treat people with the respect that they deserve. And, and Richard Donner got that. Richard Donner understood it. And to see all of these stories about what kind of director he was, but also what kind of man he was. What kind of person he was and how he treated others. That's a very important part of the process. When I'm looking at projects that we do, whether we do it here or it's films that I've made or, or you know various different projects that I've had over the years, one of the biggest, most important things that I, that I remind myself all the time, have patience with the people, don't treat them badly. Because it will come back to bite you. 
when you when you show respect to your team, when you encourage your team, when you give them everything that you can in terms of resources and time and help and say let me let me help you do your job better what can i do to make it easier for you to do what you do sometimes that's stepping out of the way sometimes that's lending a hand and getting right in there with them in the mud and the muck sometimes you sit there and say okay here's what i want it to look like Go. You have to read the personalities. You have to read the room. You got to understand the people that you're working with. They're not working for you. They're working with you. It's a collaborative effort. And Richard Donner understood this. At least that's my that's my impression from all of the different things that people are saying about what kind of director he was. And you don't have such a long storied career like Richard Donner had if you're doing it wrong. Somebody like Richard Donner, this was not failing upwards. Success after success after success after success. Box office hit after box office hit. Tentpole blockbuster action movies. He was in the beginning of it. I would dare say that without the Lethal Weapon franchise, you wouldn't have Fast and Furious. You wouldn't have The Rock. You wouldn't have the Michael Bay films. Can you you imagine if Richard Donner had directed the first Transformers movie? Would have been a very different film. Leslie Walker there on a comment on Facebook. I'm so sad. It is. It is sad news. There is not going to be another director like Richard Donner. There may be, well, I say there may be, there likely will be other directors that have an impact in the industry similar to what Donner had. But you're not going to have another director like Richard Donner. And that has a lot of different facets to it. Not just his talent as a director, not, his, not just his skill as a storyteller, but also the fact uh, that he was respected as a person and treated his cast and crew like people worthy of respect. Yesterday was a dark day for Hollywood. We lost a great talent, 91 years old. 
and planning to direct Lethal Weapon 5. Now, I have to admit that there's a little bit of irony in all of this because we look at something like Indiana Jones 5 with Harrison Ford being 78 and the question of whether or not he should be doing that movie. And I know it's a little bit different because Donner is not acting. He's not in the action sequences and all of that kind of thing. But 91, 91 years old and planning to direct an action film. It would have been interesting to see. It would have been interesting to see if he could have pulled it off. Now, according to his wife, he was sick. We don't have official cause of death. Um, I'm hoping it wasn't anything lingering as far as, you know, I hope he didn't suffer. That's a, that's a, that's a hard thing to think about. Because you think about your own mortality in the midst of all of this. And, and it's, and it's hard not to. Because not only does there, there, not only is there a cultural impact on this, as far as, you know, how much he, how much he impacted, you know, the entertainment media. But anytime you hear about somebody who was a heavy influence in your life, passing, it makes you think about things. It makes you think about your own mortality. It makes you think about, okay, well, what impact am I having? What, what good am I doing? Who benefits from what I do? I, I frequently talk about the question of who benefits, but there's a, there's a different aspect of that question. Yes, we talk about, you know, these, this, these decisions and this thing happens and that thing happens, and I say, who benefits from it? Who, 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 who derives satisfaction from these events, whether it's good news or bad news? But who benefits from the way you act? Who benefits from the way you treat people? What will people say about you when you're gone? Will you have a chorus of praise and respect and adulation? I mean, even from Ilya Salkin, who was at odds with Donner throughout the entire process of making Superman. Even he says nice things about Richard Donner. Now, some of that could be PR. But you have people who are saying he was a genuinely nice guy. What will people say about you? Something to think about. And that will do it for today. Uh, I do welcome your feedback, whether it's through email or the comments on the videos or on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, don't forget, tonight we have a brand new Salacious Crumbs at 9 p.m. Eastern with the latest Star Wars news. 
And then we'll be back here tomorrow with more Live from the Bunker. I am still taking suggestions for guests uh, for us to interview and invite onto the show. And I would love to have, speaking of Todd Helbing, uh, we do have an invitation out to him. I don't know what's going to happen from there, but we'll see what happens from there. All right, that's it today. Remember... Government is best when government is least. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 